there, food eaters. Welcome to episode number 81 of the Food Labels Revealed podcast. I'm Mel Weinstein, sometimes called the self-proclaimed prophet of processed foods. Thanks for joining me as I continue to explore the world of ultra-processed foods, the ingredients in those foods, and the relationship to our health. Unlike most podcasts, this one is commercial-free. No annoying sales ads, no ill-timed interruptions, no promotions, of course, except for my book. No requests for your hard-earned cash. Only educational and entertaining content to hopefully provide stimulation of your prefrontal cortex. Last month, I looked into the regulations of the federal government with respect to how new ingredients get improved for our food supply. I continue that inquiry in this episode by taking a more detailed look at the food labels on food packages. The federal government, back in 1990, gave the American people a great gift. It was called the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act, which spelled out what could and what couldn't be displayed on food labels. Later, in 1994, the gift was extended to include the Nutrition Facts label with instructions to food manufacturers to use consistent and standardized food labels to limit the confusion of customers in reading the labels on food packages and to provide a resource that contains a tremendous amount of information in a pretty small footprint. Today, the Nutrition Facts label is ubiquitous and probably taken for granted by most people. But it radically changed how food manufacturers provide us with information about their products. In this episode, I take a deep dive into the 1994 law and its updates. Let me introduce you to the Code of Federal Regulation, abbreviated CFR the official legal print publication containing the codification of the general and permanent rules published in the Federal Register by the departments and agencies of the federal government. It's one thing to pass a law and a whole other thing to craft all the rules and regulations to flesh it out and enforce the law. In this case, that was the job of the Food and Drug Administration, of course we know it as FDA, The portion of the CFR that I'll address here is called Title 21, Chapter 1, Subchapter B, Part 101. And yes, I actually spent hours and hours looking through it. Only a dedicated nerd like myself would dare take on such a feat. I figuratively entered the belly of the beast, the arcane and mind-numbing Part 101 entitled Food Labeling. First, the document is massive, hundreds of pages. Second, it's not very user-friendly. It's an outline form with multiple references, very specific verbiage, and convoluted language. To do justice to it, one would need a degree in governese, the language of the CFR. I can only imagine that a food company wanting to create a nutrition facts label for some new product would have to have an expert on staff or hire a consulting firm to put it together for them. Why? Why is this so? Well, everything is specified. The exact content, size of label relative to package, 
the fonts, the order of information, where to obtain reference information, definitions, warning statements, etc., etc., etc. The intention was that anybody anywhere in the country examining a food package would be able to find, recognize, and utilize the knowledge that's on the Nutrition Facts label. I strongly recommend that you grab a food package or container with a Nutrition Facts label as I talk about the subject. If that's inconvenient, since you may be driving, running, playing cornhole, or delivering a baby, then turn the podcast off and come back to it when you can use your example package. For my reference food, I'm looking at the label on a box of my favorite cereal called Kashi Go Cinnamon Crisp. Let's get into the minutia of the Nutrition Facts label. Maybe you haven't noticed this feature, but every label is required to have the name, address, and phone number of the manufacturer and or distributor. Printed on my cereal box is Kashi Sales LLC, Solano Beach, California, 92075 for zip code, and a phone number 877-746-2467. Additionally, in this case, the website address is voluntarily included. This contact info is important in case a consumer needs to make a complaint or inquiry about the product to the manufacturing company or to a government agency. I took advantage of this feature a few months ago when I cooked a frozen dinner that tasted horrible. I called the company phone number and filed a complaint. They in turn sent me $12 in coupons as a settlement. Everything you see on this label is standardized, that is, dictated by the FDA rules. Some print is bolded, for example, the serving size, calories, certain nutrients like total fat, cholesterol, sodium, total carbohydrates, and protein. The bolded print draws attention to those nutrients the FDA believes consumers should watch out for. Some print is oversized, that is, uses a a large font. The largest font is for calories near the top of the label. It dominates the landscape. Since obesity is a major societal problem in America, this feature is strongly bolded, so consumers will be drawn to it. In the case of the cereal, the calorie content is 230 calories per cup. Note that energy content is usually listed to the nearest tens place if over 10 calories are in the food. If the actual measurement was 234 calories, a little higher, the manufacturer could legally report it as 230, shaving a few calories off. Unfortunately, there is not a percentage of daily amount written on the label for calories. The daily energy consumption for the average American is 2,000 calories. How the government came up with that value is a long story, so I won't cover that here. Now, per cup of cereal, a person would be consuming 230 calories divided by 2,000, or 11.5% of the daily amount. That is not listed on the label. The whole box contains six servings, so if I ate all of it in one day, I would be getting 1,380 calories, 
or 69% of the recommended calories for the day. Note that serving size and number of servings is always listed at the top of the Nutrition Facts label for easy reference. The serving size is reported in a culinary unit like cups and also in grams, a metric weight unit. In the old days, food companies making high-fat, sugar, salt, and cholesterol products would try to minimize the serving size to some unrealistic amount to mislead consumers into thinking more favorably about the product. But with the latest CFR rules, the food company must use a reference for serving size provided by the FDA. Let's look at a particularly grievous example of misleading information. ConAgra Foods sells PAM, P-A-M, olive oil spray for greasing cookware. A consumer can't measure out a culinary unit like one-eighth teaspoon from a spray can, so the company reports the serving size as a spray out of the can that they estimate to be 0.25 grams for every quarter second spray. That 0.25 grams is all fat. The FDA allows any serving with less than 0.5 grams of fat to be reported as zero fat. So on the label, it says zero grams of fat. But wait a second. The, the, the 473 servings would amount to 118 grams of fat in the can. Pam is just a can full of fat. If you use the more reasonable 10 sprays to oil a cooking pan, that would amount to about 2.5 grams, which is not 0 grams of fat. So by downplaying serving size, a food company can make their fat-laden product look pretty good to customers. Let's continue down the nutrition facts label. Under the calorie section, food nutrients are listed always in the same order. Next to the nutrient, the amount in grams or milligrams is shown. That amount is compared to a reference value and calculated as a percent called the percent daily value or percent DV rounded to the ones place. For example, the total fat per serving in my cereal is 5 grams. The percent DV on the box is 6%. For a 2,000 calorie diet, a maximum of 83 grams of total fat is recommended. Dividing 5 grams by 83 grams and expressing the result as a percentage gives 6%, the percent DV. The total fat is broken down into four categories. Saturated, trans, polyunsaturated, and monounsaturated. The first two types are considered cardiovascular unfriendly. Their amounts are required on the label. The last two are healthier fats and are not required to be recorded on the label. In this case, there is one gram of saturated fat in a serving. The percent DV on the box is 5%. For a 2,000 calorie diet, 20 grams of saturated fat is allowed. Dividing 1 gram by 20 grams and expressing the result as a percentage gives 5%. That is the percent DV. 
there is zero grams of trans fat, so the percent DV on the box is zero percent. Since trans fat is a major contributor to heart disease, under the jurisdiction of the FDA, it has been phased out of the American food system. So, you'll probably always see zero grams listed on food labels. Note, however, if the measured value is actually less than 0.5 grams, the FDA allows that measurement to be reported as zero. So zero doesn't necessarily mean zero. Continuing, there are two grams of polyunsaturated fat and two grams of monounsaturated fat. DVs for these nutrients are not required, so they are not listed on the label. All the fat types should add up to the total fat amount, which in this case is true. You have 1 plus 2 plus 2 grams equals 5 grams. Listed under fat is cholesterol. There is none in the cereal since no animal products were used as ingredients. The daily value for cholesterol is 300 milligrams. Next comes sodium at 180 grams per serving with a percent DV of 8%. For a 2,000 calorie diet, 2,250 milligrams of sodium is allowed. Dividing 180 milligrams by 20 to 50 and expressing the result as a percentage gives 8%. That is the percent DV. By the way, assuming there were no other sources of sodium in the cereal, you could multiply 180 milligrams by 2.5 to get the amount of salt, which turns out to be 450 milligrams of salt per serving. Following sodium comes the amount of total carbohydrate at 40 grams per serving with a percent DV of 15%. For a 2,000 calorie diet, 267 grams of carbohydrate is allowed. Dividing 40 grams by 267 grams and expressing the result as a percentage gives 15%. Again, the percent DV. Several categories and subcategories of carbohydrates exist. Fiber is a form of carbohydrate that is not readily broken down in the intestines, but serves as an important nutrient for gut health. There are 11 grams of fiber per serving with a percent DV of 38%. For a 2,000 calorie diet, 29 grams of fiber or more should be consumed. Dividing 11 grams by 29 grams and expressing the result as a percentage gives 38%. That is the percent DV. Now, there are two types of fiber. Soluble, and there's 6 grams of that, and insoluble, there are 5 grams. In the gut, soluble fiber dissolves in water to form gel-like solutions, which feed the good gut bacteria to help maintain a balanced microbiota for optimal health. Insoluble fiber, as the name suggests, doesn't dissolve but sticks to other materials in the colon, helping to slow the digestive process and leading to softer, bulkier, and regular stools. All good things. It also helps to remove toxic materials from the digestive tract. There are no daily values for soluble and insoluble fiber. 
One reason might be that fiber is very difficult to quantitatively analyze. In my career as an analytical chemist, I ran hundreds of fiber analyses, and I can attest to how frustrating it was to get consistent and accurate results. The nutrition label reports the total amount of carbohydrates. In the cereal, there are 40 grams per serving. Sugars are an important category of carbohydrates. There is no daily value for total sugar. Instead, the total sugar is the sum of the sugars naturally found in the cereal plus added sugars. Added sugars, for example, might be cane sugar, molasses, corn syrup, solids, etc. The value on the label for added sugars is 11 grams. A few years ago, the FDA created a rule to track added sugars separately since they were thought to greatly contribute to the obesity epidemic in America. The amount of added sugars on the cereal label is 9 grams. For a 2,000 calorie diet, no more than 50 grams of added sugar should be consumed. Dividing 9 grams by 50 grams and expressing the result as a percentage gives a percent DV of 18% for each serving of cereal. If you add up all the carbohydrate grams per serving, that is dietary fiber plus total sugars, you don't get the total amount of carbohydrates as mentioned before, which was 40 grams. Instead, the sum comes out to be 22 grams. Why the difference? There are other carbohydrates present in the sample, for example, starches, which are not accounted for on the label. The last nutrient to track is protein. There are 13 grams of protein per serving with a percent DV of 20%. For a 2,000 calorie diet, 65 grams of protein should be consumed. Dividing 13 grams by 65 grams and expressing the result as a percentage gives 20% DV. To complete the Nutrition Facts label, a listing of vitamins and minerals and their percent daily values is provided. Only the following nutrients are required to be listed on the label. Vitamin D, calcium, iron, and potassium. Any other nutrients present are voluntarily provided by the manufacturer. For the Kashi cereal, the additional nutrients reported are phosphorus, magnesium, and zinc. At the very bottom of the Nutrition Facts label, the manufacturers are required to provide a definition of percent daily value, which, of course, everyone in America has memorized by now, right? In addition to the Nutrition Facts label, the product must list the ingredients in order of preponderance by weight. If an ingredient amount is 2% or less of the total weight, the manufacturer is allowed to place them at the end of the list in any order they choose, provided the less than 2% notation precedes them. This rule is probably a nod to those manufacturers who desire to reveal as little as possible about their formulation, like the flavors and the spice amounts. So copycats would have difficulty reverse engineering the product. In the following statements are some rules that you may not be aware of as regards the nutrition facts label. If the word sugar is found in an ingredient label, 
and always refers to sucrose, which is extracted from either sugar cane or sugar beets. Some people don't consume dairy products. If a food label declares a product as non-dairy, there may still be ingredients in the product derived from dairy. For example, sodium caseinate made from casein, a dairy protein. In that case, the manufacturer must include a descriptor such as, quote, a milk derivative, unquote, to warn people. Loose food is not exempt from the rules. If a food does not come in a package with an affixed label, for example, bulk items in bins, then the merchant shall display the appropriate information at the product location or the information can be available in a booklet or binder at a point near the location of the item. The term serving size relates to the amount of food customarily consumed at a sitting by people who are four years or older. The rules are different for products marketed to toddlers and babies. This next section I call false zero declarations. I've mentioned this earlier in the uh, in the podcast, but a zero amount on the label for a nutrient doesn't necessarily mean that the nutrient is not present in the food. The following rules apply. Foods that have an energy content of less than 5 calories per serving may be expressed as zero on the nutrition facts label. Label declaration of cholesterol information is not required for foods that contain less than 2 milligrams per serving. For sodium content, if the food has less than 5 milligrams in it, then it too can be reported as zero. For carbohydrate content and total sugars, if the food has less than 0.5 grams, the content may be expressed as zero. For fiber, if the food has less than 0.5 grams, the fiber content may be expressed as zero. Fiber isn't just what is naturally found in food. The FDA allows the following additives to be counted as fiber. Beta-glucan soluble fiber, psyllium husk, cellulose, guar gum, pectin, locust bean gum, and hydroxypropyl methyl cellulose. When total sugars are determined, the sum can include contributions not just from sucrose, but also from glucose, fructose, and lactose. The listing of sugar alcohols, for example, mannitol, xylitol, or erythritol, on the nutrition facts label is voluntary unless some claim is made on the food label related to sugar alcohols, for example, reduced sugar. If a food product is directed towards children of 1 to 3 years of age, then the daily energy intake will be 1,000 calories, not 2,000. Manufacturers are responsible for the analysis of products for declaration on the nutrition facts label. For a given test, for example, grams of fat, at least 12 samples need to be tested, which are to be taken from 12 randomly selected shipping cases. The manufacturer must keep records of all the data collected to verify the declared amounts on the label. Those records must be kept for at least two years in case the FDA needs to review them. 
Only restaurants that are part of a chain with 20 or more locations using the same name must provide nutritional information on menus and menu boards. At this point, the only requirement for information on menus is the calories per menu item. However, the following nutrient amounts for standard menu items must be available in written form on the premises and provided upon request. These include total calories, calories from fat, total fat, saturated fat, trans fat, cholesterol, sodium, total carbohydrate, dietary fiber, sugars, and protein. Regarding claims on food packages, usually shown on the front of the package, such as low sodium, zero sodium, sugar-free, no added sugar, calorie-free, zero calories, light, reduced, and less or more claims, the FDA has specific rules for using such claims that the manufacturers have to follow. This next section is about warnings on labels. The FDA requires warnings on some food packages that address specific diets. If a food contains protein that contributes to more than 50% of the total calories, then you'll read this on the label. Warning. Very low-calorie protein diets may cause serious illness or death, not for use by infants, children, or pregnant or nursing women. Excess iron consumed by children. Warning. Accidental overdose of iron-containing products is a leading cause of fatal poisoning in children under 6. Foods containing psyllium husk as a fiber additive. Notice, this food should be eaten with at least a full glass of liquid. Eating this product without enough liquid may cause choking. Do not eat this product if you have difficulty in swallowing. Juices that have not been treated to prevent, reduce, or eliminate pathogens. Warning. This product has not been pasteurized and therefore may contain harmful bacteria that can cause illness in children, the elderly, and persons with a weakened immune system. The term salt-free may be used on a label only if the food has no sodium. This rule is necessary so consumers don't think that salt-free means no sodium, since sodium can show up in other ingredients. In relation to meat, the term lean may be used provided that the food contains less than 10 grams total fat, 4.5 grams or less saturated fat, and less than 95 milligrams of cholesterol relative to the reference amount. In relation to meat, the term extra lean may be used provided that the food contains less than 5 grams total fat, less than 2 grams saturated fat, and less than 95 grams cholesterol relative to the reference amount. Health claims not authorized for foods in conventional food form include dietary fiber and cardiovascular disease, also zinc and immune function in the elderly. These two claims cannot be made on labels. Allergy information is not provided by the food labeling law, but is covered in the Food Allergen Labeling and Consumer Protection Act of 2004. By the way, a later law in 2021 added sesame as the ninth allergen to be listed on foods. 
Although very useful, sell-by, best-by, and use-by dates, often found on food packages, are voluntary and are not addressed in the food labeling law. That's it for today, food eaters. Thanks for all of you for tuning in. Even after doing this podcast for seven years, I learned a few things about food labeling that were new to me. I hope you were able to take away some useful information as well. Regarding the FDA food labeling rules, I really only scratched the surface. Many details were left out due to time and a lack of relevance. If you're a geek like me, check out Part 101, Food Labeling in the CFR, a hyperlink for which is provided in the episode notes. If you know others who would enjoy this podcast, please share this episode by sending a link by text or by sharing it to your social media pages. If you have a moment, I'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating at Apple or the iTunes store. If you don't have a streaming device, you can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com. Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. If you want to shoot me a message, I can be reached at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Until later, food eaters, remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is called by Lonely Journal, composed by Alex Zavesa. Thank you.